Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. If you need a pew Bible, it is page 391. Listen to the word of the Lord from Isaiah the prophet. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Father, we come and we are humbled and we are in awe of all that you are and all that you do. We thank you, Lord, for the giving of your word and the Spirit of God that will enlighten our minds, move our emotions, and change our wills, Lord, that we might see you for who you really are in this passage, that we would remember that you were born for a reason, a purpose, that is to save and to redeem and to ultimately come back and establish your kingdom. Lord, may each of us here today be ready and prepared for your second coming, when you will come with justice, with judgment, and with a sword out of your mouth to tread the wrath of God on a rebellious world. Lord, may we receive the grace and the peace and the forgiveness and the righteousness that we need through your Son today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Kim, Dana, and thank you to Zach, Sarah, and, and Jerry. Give it up for them, man. That was great. Thank you for playing. Thank you for singing. And thank you for leading us to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no doubt. With Christmas only a week away, in fact, a week from tomorrow, if you can believe it, I'm sure most of your, for most of you, your thoughts and, uh, are on Christmas, and ready or not, it's coming. And so as we together, as we think about Christmas, as we focus on it, let me begin with a question for us to kind of set the stage here as we dive into this passage of Scripture that Pastor Chris read for us here in Isaiah, and that is, have you ever found yourself suddenly in the dark crying out, who turned out the lights? There's, uh, I've been the pastor here now for almost 16 years, on staff before that as a youth pastor for several, several years, and one of my responsibilities has always been to kind of lock up on Sundays, and, uh, and so as you go through the church locking up, there's a certain part of the building here in our church that there's no windows, and when you turn out the lights, let me tell you, it's, it's pitch black. And so there's been a few times over the course of the years where I've been in the basement of this auditorium and doing some stuff, whatever, and somebody's turned out the lights, and it's pitch black. You can't see where you're going. You can't even see where to walk, and my natural reaction is to kind of yell out, I'm still down here. Who turned out the lights? Turn them back on, because I can't see. And perhaps you've kind of asked that question yourself, 
in your own life once or twice. And in fact, uh, when you hear about another mass shooting or a terrorist attack or or even as you, you read the news about these devastating fires in Southern California, it makes you want to ask who has turned out the lights. And so despite all of our technological advances that we have in our country, it seems we're living in a dark, dark world. Perhaps even in the, your own corner of your life, you've asked the same question. Who's turned out the lights? Whether it's financial difficulties, whether it's loneliness, whether it's a troubled marriage, a dead-end job, maybe it's family tension, and now with the coming holidays, it just stresses you out. It appears, perhaps, that there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. Who turned out the lights, and who will turn them on again? And so when the lights go out in our world, when the lights seem to go out even in our own individual lives, we hope and we look for some ray of light to lead us through that darkness that we're going through. And that's exactly what God gives us here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Hope is revealed in the midst of darkness. In the days of the prophet Isaiah, the people of Israel, God's people, were asking themselves as they were walking through their own darkness, and they're crying out, who's turned out the lights? Because of their continued sin, continued rebellion against God, God now has allowed the mighty kingdom of Assyria to come against them, to come against the northern kingdom of Israel and totally devastate it. You would think you have problems, but many people in Isaiah's day, they lost their homes, they lost their lives, even their country. Their loved ones were brutally killed, families were broken up, and their country was destroyed. But here's the deal, even in wrath, God's mercy was there. God remembers His mercy and so God gave them, gave Isaiah a vision of hope in the midst of their darkness. God promised that he would turn their darkness into light, their sorrow into joy, and their captivity into liberty. God gave the people a ray of hope in a very dark time in their lives. And you may have come here this morning feeling perhaps a little down, maybe even a little depressed, and perhaps even thinking, who turned out the lights in my life? Well, I have great news for you today. The same hope that God promised the people of Israel, He extends to you and I here today. God says this hope, this great light, will be a child. What child is this? Well, notice in your notes coming up on the screen, you're welcome to pull out the insert in your bulletin and follow along in the notes if you want to. But notice this, this child is the hope of Jesus Christ revealed by God as the coming king. 700 years before the angels sang, the shepherds came and the wise men gave, Isaiah explains exactly who this child is. And that's what I want us to explore a little bit with our time remaining. Who this child is that Isaiah prophesies about. And there's three distinct points I want us to look at here. Notice, first of all, the king is miraculous in how he came. This child is a king. 
the coming king, and he is miraculous in how he came the first time. The very first part of verse 6 tells us the miraculous way in which Jesus came when it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And so immediately we see here that Jesus Christ came in earthly humanity. For unto us a child is born, this underscores the humanity of Jesus. It describes his birth as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus was miraculously born as a baby to the Virgin Mary, which is a way of describing his incarnation, which is just a big word to describe that the Son of God took on human flesh, human nature, became a man, and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And then Paul adds these words in Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus came in earthly humanity as a baby, born in a manger, and we're familiar with the Christmas story here. But understand, Jesus also came in heavenly deity. When it says, for unto us a son is given, this implies the deity of Jesus Christ. It describes, in other words, his eternal being. As Ravi Zacharias has said, the son wasn't born, the son eternally existed. The child was born. The Son was given by God. In other words, Jesus was not born as a Son. Why? Because He was already a Son. He existed before His birth as a child as the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. One author puts it like this, Jesus Christ came in the person of deity wrapped in the package of humanity. Now, you take these two concepts, these, this merging of Christ's humanity and deity into one person, and we'll be the first to admit, at least I will, that that is a great mystery. In fact, it's interesting what Paul writes about this. In 1 Timothy 3.16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of, the go of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's a mystery. And yet we worship that. We are thankful for that. John Phillips captured it beautifully when he wrote, the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. And so this king that Isaiah prophesies about, this Christ child to be born, the son to be given, is miraculous in how he came. But he's also, number two, this king is majestic in who he is. He's majestic in who he is. In the Bible, the, na the name of a person means far more than just a way to identify someone. A name reveals the character of a person. In other words, who that person is. Isaiah reveals for us here in this passage of Scripture four names for Jesus Christ the King. And each one of these names unlocks an aspect of his character. These four names teach us who Jesus is. In fact, they not only teach us who he is, but they teach us 
how he can help us even today. One Christmas carol rhetorically asks, what child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? And if you have that question in your mind, perhaps even this morning, listen to Isaiah's answer here in verse 6. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So who is he? Well, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Number one, as the Wonderful Counselor, Jesus Christ is the source of wisdom. He is the source of wisdom. And so in response, we ought to trust Him and follow Him. The name Wonderful Counselor, it literally means a wonder of a counselor, and it speaks of Jesus' infinite wisdom. That is, the counsel of Jesus, you could say, is out of this world. It's supernatural from above. Isaiah, the prophet, in 28-29 says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. And so here we have a person whose counsel is indeed wonderful. It is wise counsel with great understanding. It is strong counsel with, that is full of knowledge. And most of all, it is the counsel of God Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 teaches us that Jesus is actually the wisdom of God. And so here is a counselor unlike any other that the world has ever known. Counselors and psychologists often make their living giving advice, giving counsel, but their wisdom is limited in what they can share with us. Whereas Jesus' wisdom is unlimited because he is the source of all wisdom. Paul put it this way when speaking of Jesus in Colossians 2-3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I love what Paul writes about Jesus in Romans 11, 33 and 36. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and that shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Do you realize what this means? It means there is really no other counselor like Jesus Christ. There is none other. It means Jesus is the only one with sufficient answers to our problems. It means that Jesus understands things which are beyond the ability of our finite minds to comprehend. It means Jesus knows the ways of God. He understands God's plans. He knows God's purposes and how they fit into our lives, how they work themselves out. Why? Because Jesus is the source of all wisdom. And it's amazing what Jesus can do in our lives then when we trust him, when we follow his wisdom, his will for our lives. Are you confused about life? Are you experiencing problems in life? Whether that's marriage problems, financial trouble, are you pulling your hair out over raising your kids? Listen, seek the counsel of Jesus Christ because He can do wonders as your counselor. Listen to what Isaiah 25 says. O oh Lord, You are my God. 
I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of our old are faithfulness in truth. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.11 that Jesus works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so seek his counsel. Listen, we live in a day and age when it's so easy to be gripped, if you will, by what our culture says about the issues of life. We need to first turn to the wisdom and counsel of Jesus Christ as revealed in his word. Number two, as the mighty God, Jesus Christ empowers us to do his will. So follow him. You take the first two names of Jesus here by Isaiah, and what do you have? Well, as the wonderful counselor, Jesus makes the plans. And as the mighty God, Jesus makes the plans work. And what are Jesus' plans? Well, according to Isaiah, get this, it is to establish his government as the ultimate king. And as the mighty God, Jesus has what it takes to do just that. As mighty God, Jesus is powerful. He is almighty to do what needs to be done. Now ponder this with me for a moment. It's one thing to say you are going to do something. But it is entirely different, quite another, to have the ability and resources to actually accomplish it. And as the mighty God, there is nothing that Jesus cannot do. And nothing that his power cannot accomplish. Listen, we ought to let our minds wrap around that. We ought to get a grip on this one truth here this morning. There is nothing Jesus cannot do. In Jeremiah 32, 27, God asked the question, Is anything too difficult for me? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. And the obvious answer is no. There is nothing too difficult for you. In fact, it's interesting. When Mary asked how is it possible for her to be the mother of God after the angel Gabriel told her that she would become the mother of God, she's asking, how is this going to be possible since I have not known a man? I'm still a virgin. How am I going to give birth to a child, the Son of God? And the angel Gabriel told her in Luke 1.37, for with God nothing will be what? impossible and then in a song of praise to God Mary declared in verse 49 for he speaking of God for he who is mighty has done great things for me and then Mary reflected how God came in power to deliver his people from Egypt she's thinking back on the people of God and what God has done in miraculous, powerful ways for God's people, such as delivering them from Egypt, how God drove their enemies from the promised land, and how God kept them year after year after year because of His promises to them. Listen, that is our God too. That is our God today even. In what He has done for others, He will do for us in different ways, of course. We have different problems, and God has different goals for us than what he had for the ancient Jewish people. But the power of that mighty God is ours also. As the mighty God, Jesus Christ empowers us to do his will, to accomplish his will, just as he did Mary. 
The early disciples knew this. They knew they had God's power. Jesus did not leave them powerless when He ascended into heaven. He gave them what? Just as He gives us. He gave them the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, just as He does us at the moment of our salvation. Number three, as the everlasting Father, Jesus loves us endlessly. He loves us endlessly. So run to Him. Run to Him as your everlasting Father. Now, that's somewhat an interesting term to be applied to Jesus Christ. The title Everlasting Father literally means Father of Eternity. And so how then can Jesus, the Son of God, be called the Father of Eternity? That doesn't quite add up. It doesn't make sense. Well, people who establish new companies are often referred to as, quote, the founding fathers of that company. Uh, in fact, even Satan himself in the Gospels, Jesus referred to him as the father of lies. Why? Because lies and deception originated with Satan. William Carey is called the father of modern missions. And you can bring that in even into our own day and age. You think about even Henry Ford. He's the founder of the Ford Motor Company. But by, and so we, we get this, fathers start and they establish new things and paving a way for others who will follow. And in the same way, Jesus now is the, the father of eternity. That's the son of God, Jesus. He came to this earth as a virgin-born child and as a man, he died for the sins of the world. In fact, that's our greatest problem, is it not? Sin. And death is the consequence of that sin. But by rising from the dead, Jesus was victorious over death, and he paved the way for, for everyone who puts their trust in him to also conquer death. Not only physical death, but eternal death as well. And that's the reason now that Jesus can offer you and I eternal life. He offers it to everyone who will believe in him. And since he is the founder or the establisher of eternal life, Jesus is now called the father of eternity. And that's why we find eternal life only in Jesus Christ. But there's something else that's unique about this name. As everlasting father, it is also descriptive of who Jesus is to us now as his sons and daughters. Jesus is fatherly, in other words, in his care, in his compassion to his children. He acts toward us as a father, a good father, in fact, a perfect father. Jesus is always there as our provider and protector, never too busy, never preoccupied or disinterested in the affairs of his children. Jesus loves us endlessly. He loves us forever. So run to him as your everlasting Father. And then last of all, number four, this fourth name we see as the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ reconciles us while we are still sinners. So receive Him. The prophet Isaiah confronts us with a very revolutionary thought concerning the source of peace here. He assures us that peace is not merely a concept or even a place I know we like to think I'm going to the beach and I'm going to be in peace. And there's an element of truth to that. But that is not the idea here. Isaiah is actually telling us that peace is a person. 
Peace is found in a very unique person, a unique prince who is the Son of God. And because Jesus is the Son of God, He has the power, the authority to bring peace to our lives and get this, even to our world. Isaiah teaches us that the prince of peace, he's the long-awaited Messiah who is none other than God in the flesh. You back up a couple chapters here in Isaiah, and you go to Isaiah chapter 7 in verse 14, and it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And that's why we will only find peace in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to personal peace, even world peace, Isaiah is saying peace is a person. Peace is a glorious, majestic, all-wise, all-powerful person who is Emmanuel, God, with us. Speaking of Jesus, Paul said in Ephesians 2.14, For He Himself is our peace. You know, when you think about it, when you strip it all away, you ask people what they want for Christmas, and of course kids have a whole toy list of things. I'm sure some of you parents have received that. They'll tell you everything they want. We as adults, we even have things that we want in life. But when you strip it all away, what people really want, what they really desire in their heart of hearts, is really what Isaiah is talking about here. It's peace. And that is what Jesus came to give to us. Our most basic problem is that we are not at peace with God. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are actually at war with God. Because we want to be our own God, we kind of want to do our own thing, we want to be our own boss, and we want to determine our own way of life. The good news is Jesus overcame what the Bible refers to as this enmity between us and God that separates us. And he overcame that with his death for us. In other words, Jesus Christ, God sent him to be born so that he could die on the cross. And through his death on the cross, he bridged the gap, that separation between us and God. Jesus bridged that gap, making peace now between us and God possible when we trust Him as our Savior. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Prince of Peace, Jesus not only came to provide us peace with God, but also to give us the peace of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Jesus tells us in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, God not only wants to give us peace that confirms and settles our eternal destiny, that is peace with God, but He also wants to give us a peace that brings security and hope to our earthly journeys while we're still alive here on this earth. This is why Paul writes, it's why he says what he says in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, when he starts with these words, be anxious for 
nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, is something that surpasses what our culture does not understand and get. Perhaps even your family, members, co-workers, neighbors, friends at school. You're going through a difficult circumstance, whatever, a trial, suffering, and you have this inner peace. And they're like, man, where does that come from? What's up with that? How are you, how are you making it through that? They don't get it. Why? Because this is a peace that surpasses worldly understanding will guard your hearts, this peace that God gives us, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now, this is rather amazing. It's beautiful is what it is. And it means everyone who has peace of God. We are reconciled in our relationship with Him now. We can go through any problem, any difficulty, any suffering and trial, and we can still have the peace of God in our hearts. In other words, when dark days come and you're asking, who turned out those lights in my life? You can have a peace you don't understand because it's the peace of God. Now, this peace is not the absence of conflict. Listen, that day is still coming. But get a load of this. That day is coming. Not yet, though. We're still living here on this earth a sin-filled earth, a fallen world. And so this peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the grace of God to cope with conflict and troubles in the dark days of life. And so even in the midst of personal darkness and difficulties, God's peace can be present in your life. What child is this? Oh, this child is Jesus Christ the King. And he is majestic in who he is. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. Do you know him? But number three, get this. The mighty king is mighty in what he will do. He is mighty in what he will do. Our God is a promise-keeping God. What he promises, he will keep. What he says, he will do. God promised David, King David, in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, he says this, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That is a promise God made to David in the Old Testament. The angel Gabriel now comes to Mary and says these words to Mary in Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33. Listen to it. And behold, you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and of the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, what the angel Gabriel is telling Mary is exactly the same thing that Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah is telling us that Jesus Christ is this king, 
He is the one who will fulfill this promise of God. Notice what he will do. We could summarize it this way. Jesus Christ will rule completely as the king of kings. The reality is man's government leads to corruption. Doesn't take too long to read the news to figure that one out. The good news is there is a government that will not let people down, but will lead to peace and satisfaction. And that is the government of Jesus Christ. And it is this government that is spoken of right here in Isaiah 9-6. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Whose shoulders will that government be upon? It's speaking of this child, this coming king, Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ's rule, it will be universal and it will be unparalleled. No one will vote him in and no one will vote him out as this government will rest on his shoulders alone. Second of all, Jesus Christ will rule eternally. Isaiah tells us in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. Now that, let that blow your minds. Man, there is so much hope in that one verse right there. If you're a history buff, man, you get this. Because every government of, that's ever been on the face of this world is, it, is blown up, basically. You catch what Isaiah says here about this government of Jesus Christ? He says that no one will be able to challenge his authority or stop him and get this, and that the rule of his government... That is what kind of government it's going to be. It will be upheld with justice and judgment or righteousness. That is beautiful. Because that's what our human governments do not have. This promise will be fulfilled none other than by Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom after Jesus comes again. So Christ will rule eternally he will rule completely and then number three jesus christ will rule powerfully this government is so glorious that you might be tempted to say man how in the world is that going to happen that seems impossible well isaiah tells us how at the end of verse seven when he writes the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this man has never been able to sustain this kind of just and righteous government only God can accomplish this and bring all of this to pass. And Isaiah tells us here that God will bring it about through the virgin-born child who is none other than Jesus Christ the King. He's the coming King. He came the first time as a child, as a baby. But He is coming the second time as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his kingdom will last forever. And there will be no usurping that government and that kingdom. Looking to God for hope. As God's people were crying out, who turned out the lights? Listen, this was the main issue, the main focus that Isaiah was driving at in the first place when he wrote these words. 
And so it is fitting that Isaiah ends with our focus now here on Jesus Christ, the King. In the midst of dark and difficult circumstances, God's people are urged through the prophet Isaiah to look to the future for a child who will bring peace and joy as the coming King. Now, we have God's Word. God's Word tells us the rest of the story. God's Word tells us the backstory that we're reading about even today. And so we know through the revelation of God's Word, we know what God did through Jesus Christ, the child, the coming King. We know that a virgin did conceive and that God did send His Son. We know that the angel who saw it said in Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We know that came about. When we read in Isaiah 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We know that God kept His promise to that. We also know what God accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross. We know how Jesus suffered to death he didn't deserve in order to bring us forgiveness and peace and reconciliation. What's more, we know what the Bible says about the future. We know the Bible promises that one day Jesus is going to return as King of Kings. He's going to defeat the devil once and for all. And He will bring all of His redeemed people into the new heavens and new earth where He will reign and rule forever. This is the ultimate hope that we look forward to in Jesus Christ the King. The child who was born in Bethlehem. What child is this? Listen, he is God's gift to us, to you. That's what child this is. Jesus Christ is a gift from God to us, and this gift now requires a response. You must receive him by faith for him to be your king and your savior. Do you realize the most important part of Isaiah 9-6 is the first three words? Where Isaiah writes, for unto, what? Us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is what Christmas is all about. God is giving His Son as a gift to us, to you. It's the greatest gift that you can ever receive. God has a gift for you. And no, it's not wrapped in bright paper and fancy ribbon, but it is wrapped in swaddling cloths and it's lying in a manger. It is the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, and He's given it to you. But you must receive it by faith. Have you done that? Do you know this child? Are you ready for this king? He's coming again. Is he your king even today? Does he rule in your life, over your life? Or are you still trying to be your own king? With your heads bowed. And as we come to this part of the service, will we respond to God? Will we respond to his word? Let me encourage you to reflect on this child who was born for us. And as you do, let me ask, have you received the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ? 
If not, then today you can receive Jesus as your Savior. Today you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life with God. You can know that you have peace with God and even the peace of God. This Christmas, God invites you to trust Jesus for your salvation, to accept his forgiveness for your sins, and to receive eternal life. That most famous of all verses where Jesus says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen, there's a simple prayer there at the bottom of your notes. I encourage you, man, if God is tugging at your heart, if he's pulling at your conscience to receive him, to believe in him, then respond to the Lord right where you're seated. Cry out to him in prayer. Perhaps even use that prayer at the bottom of your notes to verbalize the desire of your heart to receive the gift of God's Son. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this child sent into the world for our salvation to rule as our King. We ask that you would grant us faith to believe and receive him as our Savior and King now and forevermore. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Praise team's going to sing a chorus here. Will you respond? Will you make him your King of Kings?